0: Hello and thank you for joining me for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast that's all about women and their stories and the great conversations that we can have while sharing our experience in life. Today joining me is Trina Altman and she is not only a yoga teacher but she's also a Pilates instructor. She is a movement educator who helps teachers tap into their own brilliance and understand how to break the rules so they can create new and inventive exercises and classes to meet their students' needs. She's got a lot of things that she's done to make things a little bit different in how we approach teaching yoga which i'm all about because i'm all about breaking rules when it comes to that so i'm really excited to have her on today this was one of the the reasons that i reached out to her was like hey i need to know more about this and i know there's a lot of you that would like to know more about it as well and just to know about trina altogether so welcome trina and thank you so much for joining me today
1: thanks so much for having me sherry
0: would you Would you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you ended up where you are today?
1: Sure. It's a long story, so I'm not sure how far to go back. I... Let's see. I'm 47, and I started this career when I was about 35, 36. Uh So I did quite a lot of other things before this career. I don't know how far I should go back.
0: (laughs) Well, why don't why don't you start with? So did you start out as a Pilates instructor or a yoga instructor?
1: I did my yoga teacher training first. I did my 200 hour training. Okay. First, and then I did my 300, and then I did my Pilates training. Okay. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I know how I migrated into Pilates myself, and I'm really thinking about maybe getting certified to instruct Pilates as well. So how did you make that transition? So what's your background? Were you a dancer? Were you a, you know, wh- where where did, where did you come from? Yes.
1: Um, <laughs> so, well, my first job out of college was actually as a financial analyst analyst on Wall Street at Goldman okay. Sachs. And that was kind of a... Not an accident, but I went to school at Brown, and I remember my father telling me go to career services and get a job that has benefits. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, after you graduate, we're not going to help you. I was like, um, that's we such a, that 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 that's a, such a
0: parent thing to yes.
1: say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was a political science major. So. Oh, so was I. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the summer after sophomore year, I did an internship in the Senate. And then the summer after my junior year, I did an internship in the White House. That was the very first summer um, that Bill Clinton was in office. So that would have been 93, I guess. Yeah. Um, and after spending two summers in DC, I decided I didn't want to move to DC and <laughs> work in the government. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to go to law school. So basically, when I went to career services, the recruiters were recruiting for mostly advertising Consulting, Wall Street jobs, and the Peace Corps.
0: <laughs> so, oh boy.
1: Yeah. My father was always involved in investing, you know, from a very young age, kind of talked to me about the importance of diversifying your portfolio and, you know, those kinds of things. And when they recruited, you know, I I interviewed for advertising jobs and consulting jobs and these banking jobs, and, you know, they really promise you the world. And I remember my dad saying, Oh, you'll never get a job on Wall Street, because I think that's, what he always wanted to do. And uh, so of course, when he said that, I was like, Oh, you watch me, (laughs) even though it wasn't, you know, in line with my interests, really. So I got that job. And it was awful. You know, I, I hated it. But I think unconsciously, subconsciously. So I'd always wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to go to Parsons School of Design and live in New York City. And I grew up in Oklahoma. And my parents were like, no, you're not living in New York. And no, we're not sending you to fashion design school. So the good news was when I quit the job at Goldman Sachs, I just started temping. Um, That was like a new thing back then that you didn't have to get a full-time job with benefits. You could just, you know, temp and Uh, You know, my parents weren't too happy about that, but I, at least for me, it gave me the opportunity to take these different temp jobs and different industries to actually figure out what I wanted to do. So I did that for quite a while, you know, just I I couldn't type fast enough to get the administrative assistant job. So I was mostly doing receptionist and what they called guy gal Friday, (laughs) (laughs) which meant like Xeroxing and filing. And then eventually, you know, I, I started working at a place as a receptionist called Art Resource, which was a photo archive for fine art. It was like my first real, you know, job, job after all the temping. And then I remember my mom saying, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, I would shop at Barney's. Barney's is like this upscale, <laughs> like she, she store mm-hmm. um, that I had discovered from living in New York. And she said, hey, yeah, go get a <laughs> job at Barney's. So that's what I did. I got a job at Barney's. And then from there, I went to FIT at night, the Fashion Institute of Technology on my credit card, because I didn't really have money to do that and just bought a sewing machine with my credit card and figured, you know, I'll take enough classes to where hopefully I can get a job in fashion design because I wasn't going to go to Parsons. It was too expensive. And what happened was I was working at Barney's and the designer, Ellie Tahari came in with his girlfriend and they were shopping and I was wearing a shirt that I had made in my fashion design class and he's like, Oh, I really like that. You know, where'd you get it? And I said, I made it. And long story short, I ended up getting hired as a, a fashion design assistant in the trimmings department at his mm-hmm. company. And I then I ended up I worked at Calvin Klein and the hours were horrible. They were just as, sure. almost as bad as Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Instead of 70 hours, maybe like 55-60. So I got a job at McCall Vogue Butterick Pattern Company as an oh, assistant wow. designer. Yeah, it was really boring, but I had uh-huh. normal hours. <laughs> yeah. And the people were really nice. You, you know, the, the fashion industry where I was before, I mean, It was. It's pretty cutthroat. Yeah, and I mean, they. I mean, some of the places I worked, they would just hire people that weren't even U.S. citizens because they didn't want to pay health insurance. And if you were a citizen, once your three months came up to get your health insurance, they would fire you and hire somebody else. So yeah, yeah. So I ended up doing that all through my twenties, and then I actually went into jewelry design. Made feather jewelry and crystal jewelry and ended up selling it to places like Barney's. And when I hit the end of my twenties, I was kind of just done with New York because it's, you know, it's exhausting if you don't have a lot of money.
0: (laughs) Well, it's just exhausting. Even if you have a lot of money, (laughs) I mean, you know, I've talked to several people who live there and people who love it and and people who have said, you know, it's a great place to visit, but it's not really a place where you should live.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I absolutely loved it. But yeah, at a certain point, I was like, okay... You know, the bars on my windows, the like, yeah. you know, having to not be able to drive a car or, you know, have air conditioning. Well, and, and your and apartment cooking. is the
0: size of, you know, a closet.
1: Yes, And I had the, like the rats and the mice and all that. I did live <laughs> in this village, which was really fun in Brooklyn. But yeah, so I moved back to Oklahoma to be with a boyfriend. That didn't work out, but I, I worked in textile design. And then I met my husband who at the bookstore in Tulsa, who was actually from Los Angeles. And then he's about five years younger. So he was still in med school. I had just turned 30. He was 24. So then went through the kind of the whole thing with him where we moved quite a bit. He did, you know, finished med school and then internship, residency, fellowship, but then switched to a different fellowship. So we lived in, let's see, Connecticut, and then Milwaukee, and then Iowa. And then moved here. But it was when we were in Connecticut that I still was just, even that textile design job, I wasn't able to be creative even when I was working in these design jobs because it's still like, you know, these are what the trend forecasters say, this is what you need to design. So, um, And
0: it all ends up looking the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I just um I I was working as a nanny. We were living in Connecticut. He was doing his residency. Um I was taking a metal smithing class. I had done some yoga in college a little bit in New York when I was in my 20s. I did some Bikram. And I started doing yoga again and my husband was like, "You really like this yoga. Why don't you do the teacher training. And I was like, we don't have the money, you know, we'd have to put it on the credit card. You know, I'm afraid to get up up in in front of people and talk. And, you know, my parents (laughs) would die if they had to tell their friends that their daughter was a yoga teacher. (laughs) You know, all the reasons. and and,
0: So the stories that we tell ourselves to keep us from doing the things that actually really we're passionate about.
1: And he was the person who said to me, well, you know, okay, who are you living your life for? You there know. you go. Good yeah. For him. Yes. Good for him. And so he was supportive of me doing what I wanted to do, regardless of, you know, my parents were all about we want to return on our investment, you know, <laughs> we're not sending you to grad school, not <laughs> to business school, law school, or med school, you know. So, Um, so I did. I did the 200 hour training. It was one week in a month for 13 months. And it was the best experience. Um, one of the best experiences of my life. You know, I, all the people that I met, the community, the learning, everybody was kind to each other. Nobody was, I mean, this was 2007. So it, it just like. It's so different than it is now. Um, Yeah, Yeah. you know,
0: I've been teaching yoga for almost eighteen years. So you know, this was back before anybody really knew. I mean, it was like before it was two hundred hours. Well, and well, no, it it was a two hundred hour. Actually, mine ended up being by the time I was done, well over five. But it's it's it was before it was like this is your profession kind of a thing. It was like I. Did it because I had been practicing. For, well, I've been practicing for 26 years, so mm-hmm. i had been practicing for a while. And I went to take somewhere, and the instructor that I had was like, "You know what, Sherry? I think you'd be really great teaching this. Why don't you go and you know get certified?"
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was
0: like, really? <laughs> and I did love it. And mm-hmm. I ended up actually going through a very short weekend certification through uh, Yoga Fit yeah. back in the day. Right. Uh-huh. Yes. And the only reason I went so quickly was because the place where I was taking was a a health club and they Mm -hmm. wanted to hire me. And so I just needed to get a certification.
1: Right. But
0: then I got done and realized I want more. I want to learn more. I I need to, you know, and so like you, I ended up taking one that was one weekend a month for over, it was well over a year. It was a little studio here where I live. And like you, it was one of the best experiences yeah. I've ever had. And it was something that I had no idea that I was going to love it as much as I do, or as I did even then. Right. So, so that's why I wonder, I said, do you have a dance background at all or anything, or have you just always been athletic or? Um,
1: I did a lot of gymnastics growing up okay. and then also competitive cheerleading was a thing in Oklahoma. <laughs> So it was just starting. (laughs) I mean, I know, I remember our our varsity squad went to the, um, what was it called? NCAA Orlando competition, but it had only been around for a few years at that point. Yeah. So uh, I, I was, yeah. And I always loved to move growing up. You know, I was always a mover, yeah. but
0: I, I figured there was somewhere back in there.
1: There was <laughs> yes. that somewhere. So. I was the yeah, the monkey girl climbing all over the playground and <laughs> on the monkey bars, and yes, uh, doing all the dangerous things that I shouldn't have been doing, but I didn't have a clue.
0: <laughs> right back I know. It's, I, I think back to so. How old? Are you? Tell me how old you are again. I'm 47. Okay, so I just turned 58. So I'm about. Okay. I'm 10 years older than you are. So I, I can remember back. We rode horses without helmets. We rode bicycles without helmets. Yes. We rode motorcycles without helmets. <laughs> no seatbelts. <laughs> no seatbelts. I mean, uh, cars that we I can remember as a kid there there was there wasn't even seatbelts in the car, mm-hmm. let
1: alone no. using them. Well, and if there were, you were like, "Ooh, why would you use that?" <laughs> you know, I remember like, That's not cool. And and even the playground, you know, there, was never, was, was, oh, it, right there yes, was never it
0: was right over asphalt. There was never anything gravel pushing.
1: or concrete. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, even when we would practice for cheerleading, we would practice in like church basements on concrete floors doing our tumbling routines. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I'm lucky I didn't. I know. I
0: know. You know, you think about stuff like that and I think, you know, how did we ever survive? But somehow we made it through. We
1: did. We did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you got certified to teach and were you still doing other jobs too while you were teaching or?
1: Let's see. Well, when I did the training, I was working as a nanny. And then when we moved to Milwaukee, I started working the front desk at a yoga studio and got jobs teaching at a couple different gyms. And then finally Mm -hmm. at that studio where I was working the desk. And we only were there for about six months. And then we moved to Iowa. And when I moved to Iowa, same thing. I started teaching at some stu- a studio and a couple different gyms, and one of the studios that I was teaching at had yoga and Pilates. And uh, I had always wanted to do Pilates. I had taken like math classes here or there. Right. Um, I think yeah. I had done maybe one once on the equipment or just seen the equipment, but didn't have the money to, you know, ever take private lessons. Right. So, the studio she had just opened, she had, I think it was like five reformers, and then she had, you know, the other equipment, but she was running reformer classes. And I think they were like $15 a class. So they weren't that much more than. Right. What to take a class like
0: that. Yeah, right. The yoga
1: classes. So I started taking the reformer classes. She got pregnant and said, you know, there's a reformer teacher training in Cedar Rapids. It's 45 minutes away. It's three weekends. I think they're like four days each weekend. The teacher's incredible if you take this reformer training and pass the test, will you cover for me while I'm on maternity leave? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, because that means I get to like practice on all the equipment. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, and I, so I did it. I loved it. The teacher, my teacher was incredible. And so then after that um, I tested out, was teaching the reformer classes, started teaching some privates. And then I went back and did the mat training and then we moved to Los Angeles. And so I finished up um, I did my training through STOT and I did the Cadillac chair and yeah. barrels so that I could be comprehensively certified. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's the the health club that I, I man, I'm the business manager for right okay. now. We have four of the um, reformers in there, yeah. and and that's what we do is just the small group classes like that, and yeah. it works out really well. It makes it more affordable, yes. and it's just it's really great. And I I have done yeah. mat classes. I, I did, did the reformer a few times and. It's, but it's been several years ago, right? And so I just started doing it again and was just going, you know what? I yeah, dig this and it ties so well in. It,
1: it does, it really does.
0: I'm an ex ballerina, so oh,
1: okay, yep, you know,
0: all of that stuff the pointing of the toes and the you know, all of that stuff <laughs> makes sense to me, right? And right. so I'm I just keep thinking that maybe that's what the next you thing, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's um, it's such a good match with uh, with yoga because yoga. I mean, yoga's changed and now it's less all about the stretchiness and the flexibility, or at least in the little bubbles that I live in. It's still more about people think, oh, I'm going to do yoga to get flexible, and Pilates is, oh, I'm going to do Pilates to find stability and get strong in, in big ranges of motion. But still, right. it's it's more focused on the strength. So they do they balance each other out. out balance each other out very well.
0: Well, and you still, and some of the things that we do on the reformer, you still get a really great stretch too. In fact, I sometimes get a better stretch doing some of the things in the Pilates on the reformer than I do in yoga.
1: Well, yeah, you're, you're stretching with the under tension. So you, you know, there's resistance, there's external load, which yep. makes a really, really big difference. And you can modulate what the load is, as opposed to right. yoga, which is just body weight, which is one right. load, which is your body. Right. So you have a lot more choices and options.
0: Well, and I think it, it does the, those small movements, Better there's there's a lot more of those that attention to detail that you can really isolate while you're working with the reformer that you can't really do in yoga that I it's those little subtle movements right yes. just turn your knee a little bit here and it totally changes what you're doing you're like oh my god yes am I going to be able to walk tomorrow. <laughs> So I I just took my reformer class this morning and she kicked my ass a little bit. So (laughs) I'll be curious to see how I feel tomorrow when I wake up.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, new new inputs and variable loading is so important. It's really, really crucial.
0: You have written some books about deconstructing yoga and about deconstructing Pilates. What led you to to that space?
1: So um, I'm actually, I'm working on a book called Yoga Deconstructed, Bridging the Gap Between Rehab and the Classroom. And I'm hoping um, it's for Handspring Publishing. I'm hoping it's going to come out in the spring. But I've created a lot of continuing education courses, both live and online Mm -hmm. for both Pilates deconstructed and yoga deconstructed. And I've I've been traveling, teaching continuing education education for teachers for a long time, probably since about 2012. So, and it just, you know, continues to evolve. I've been focusing, I, I was teaching my Pilates deconstructed continuing education courses a lot more frequently than I have over the last year or so, because with writing the book, I yeah.
0: yeah. got, something's got to give.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I travel on the weekends, a lot. And so, and I still have my private clients here in LA that I see, and I teach group classes here in LA. So I love the diversity of, uh, you know, not, I, I know a lot of teachers like once they start traveling to teach, they kind of give up their classes and their privates, but right. I enjoy the combination of, of all of it. So.
0: Well, um, there's something about that the the one-on-one or you do the small group where there's two or yeah. three people and actually really getting to know someone's body and their potential issues or injuries or whatever, and being able to work with them and being able to see progress over time.
1: Absolutely. And it's something
0: that you can't really do in a big class. I mean, it just doesn't
1: yeah, no. And that, you know, a lot of my clients have been with me for, you know, seven years, eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an ongoing relationship. And I keep learning and they're learning along with me. So it, it is it's really special to be able to work with people one on one where you have this conversation in the moment of what are you feeling? And, you know, how is it? You know, should we keep doing this? Or should we do something a little different? Yeah, yeah that's so I, different I, from teaching teachers?
0: It is. And I used to do a lot more of that. I I was teaching in a location that was a physical therapy and occupational therapy office. And Mm -hmm. they had some really great weightlifting equipment that was, oh God, you got resistance both. In both directions. Oh, yes,
1: yes. So it was delivered,
0: uh-huh. it was created for therapeutic use. Right. And so she sought me out to come in and teach yoga because she wanted to work with a yoga instructor that she knew understood therapeutic practices mm-hmm. so that she could work with her patients and eventually transition them to yoga so they didn't end up back in PT. Yeah. So I got to do a lot of that working in tandem with the physical therapist and the Mm. occupational therapist and working with people who had joint replacements and, you know, injuries. I worked with a guy that fell off of a roof and just basically shattered his lower body. And it was incredible. And what I mean, and it was like, they threw me in and I had to (laughs) learn on, you know, learn on the fly as I was doing it. But it taught me so much about bodies and patterns of motion and habitual patterns of motion and holding patterns and what happens when the body's injured (laughs) and all of that, that I never would have gotten to do Uh had I not accepted the opportunity to do that. And I was there for almost eight years. It was, it was tremendous. Yeah, so
1: <laughs> it's an incredible. Well, it is. It's the learning that happens when I finish my Pilates training. You know, you I, you go get a job at a Pilates studio. Ever since I've been here in LA, every studio that I've worked at has also had physical therapists as well. Either there was like a physical therapy, you know, clinic or just one physical therapist who runs a space right. in there. So yeah, I call it you know working in the post rehab zone. You're really helping yep. people who have, you know, Almost completed or completed physical therapy, and they need that bridge back to you know going to the life. gym or taking group classes yeah. at the gym or <clears throat> everyday life. And yeah, the the learning is just invaluable. I love the critical thinking and the problem solving. And well,
0: and I love to be able to just say, you know, I need you to walk for me, so let me mm-hmm. can so I can see what your gait is and how you hold your body. And yeah. you can learn so much about people and when they're in pain and when they're not in pain. That sometimes when you ask them you know, how is your pain today? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, Oh, it's fine, but I can watch the move and realize that if it's someone who's been in pain for a long time, that they have learned to ignore that pain. So their pain level is actually higher than they actually say that it is. Right. So it's been so it's such an incredible journey to really witness that and see you can see you see it in their facial expression, you see it in how they hold their body. And Mm -hmm that's been like the biggest learning experience for me. It's like really having to be present and pay attention and see how somebody's moving and because the body doesn't lie. They sometimes no. may not be able to <laughs> verbalize what's going on, but you yeah. can see it in the... Yeah.
1: It's so true. Well, if you do do the full Pilates certification. The wonderful thing is most studios, they don't let you take group classes until you've taken privates. And so when you, yeah. So, I mean, when I first graduated, you know, and I started working in a studio, you know, I was teaching a lot of times five privates a day, you know, four days a week because people would come in and a lot of times they would actually, they'd realize how useful the private session was and just keep taking privates. Or they would take enough to take group classes and then, you know, somebody else would come in that wanted to take group classes. They'd need to do privates first. Yeah. And so it's been a really wonderful compliment to teaching yoga for me, just even if and only if the opportunity of, of all the private sessions that I've been able to teach. And then the equipment makes it such that you can really work with anyone. So if somebody can't Correct. get up and down off the floor, you know, there's the Cadillac, there's the right. reformer, there's the wonder chair, the ladder barrel, the spine corrector, the arc barrel, the pedipole. There's just so many different pieces of equipment that can support different areas of their body. And and so there's never, you know, unless they're just in excruciating pain, there's always something we can do.
0: Right. That's true. That's very
1: true. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's where I have worked with a lot of midlife and older folks with mm-hmm. yoga and some of those older folks, you know, just being able to get up and down off the floor, which is something I want to continue to work with them for so that right. they can actually main, build that ability to be able to do it. You know, just in a classroom full of people, it makes it really mm-hmm. hard to make sure, does so-and-so have a chair? Does this person have enough blocks? And I, it's it makes it really disorienting to try and keep track of everyone.
1: Oh, yeah, you can. not I mean, I always say a group class is a group class and a private is. is a private. Yes. And I've had private clients who were really fearful of getting up and down off the floor, but because they loved the Pilates exercises on the equipment so much, they really enjoyed, say, climbing up onto the Cadillac. That was less scary right. for them, or, you know, doing some exercise on the reformer kneeling, whereas they wouldn't kneel on the floor because it was just scary or it wasn't yeah. fun, well, but, like getting and- on the reformer to kneel to do hands and straps and make arm circles was exciting. And so, yeah. You- well,
0: if you think about it, the, those the reformers are up far and up off the That's floor right. that it doesn't make it seem like it's so far to go down and then so far to get back up again.
1: Yes. And then you know a lot of times they're getting up and down so many times off of the chair, the reformer and the Cadillac that then getting on the, when you finally say, oh, maybe we should try the floor again. It's been a while and they're able to do it. Right, because they've been climbing up and down. It just was up instead of down and up, which is less scary, you know, and there's, it's padded versus, you know, (laughs) (laughs) there's this whole psychology of it. Yes, (laughs) Yes. there
0: is a whole psychology of it. So you focus mostly on, on then when you travel, it's basically Mm -hmm. to teach teachers. You're, you're working with teaching teachers.
1: Well, I have a, a weekend of workshops. I have actually, a couple weekends of workshops that are open to the public. And then I have a couple of different ones that are primarily for teachers, but I'll often get non-teachers that are just super, you know, nerdy and into movement. <laughs> and and I, because I'm so interdisciplinary, because I bring in so many different movements from other mindful movement methods when I teach yoga and Pilates, I get teachers from all different types of of movement modalities. I'll get physical therapists, massage therapists, um, personal trainers, dance teachers, Feldenkrais teachers. You know, I I do mostly get yoga and Pilates teachers, but I I get a lot of other um, movement professionals and, and sometimes clinicians as well.
0: Well, that's great. I mean that's that's something that you know, as I've gotten older and had to think about things in terms of my practice is not the same. As it was before, because my body's not the same as it was before. Right. And, you know, when you live your life as a full contact sport, all (laughs) of those little bits and pieces that you Mm -hmm. injured along the way and they get Mm -hmm. better. Then when you get older, they come back and they don't go away again. Right. So you really have to work with, you know, how does all of that work and how do you have a great and viable practice? And I've really been so in the last couple of years really focused on functional movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is is that a part of, of what you're teaching as well is is functional movements?
1: Yeah. When I teach my... Sorry, the neighbors are moving garbage cans outside. <laughs> That's like so loud. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> otherwise, it's a pretty quiet neighborhood. Yeah. So for example, when I teach my yoga deconstructive classes, I typically start with either some somatic movements. So say move from Feldenkrais or Hanna somatics, or I'll use some sensory feedback methods, say foam roller or massage balls to address certain areas of the body that I want to wake up in uh, my student's brain. So say if it's more of a shoulder-focused class, then maybe I'll teach a somatic sequence that's more focused on the shoulders or we'll use a foam roller to get a sense of where the shoulder blades are by lying on it with it along the spine. I'll just use like a mat as a foam roller. And then if people are tall, you know, like stick a blanket on either end or a block. (laughs) And, And then from there, I generally move into corrective exercises. So I'll introduce things from... Say strengthen mobility, conditioning drills, physical therapy exercises, pre-Pilates or Pilates exercises that relate to, say, the yoga sequence I'm going to teach later or even just one yoga pose that I'm going to teach later. And then we'll do those type of things in different orientations to gravity with, you know, some usually closed chain feedback first And then moving more towards open chain feedback with easier relationships to gravity first. So say maybe lying down or seated, before we get to kneeling and standing, and uh, and then I love props. So um, oh, me too. Yeah.
0: The toys of yoga.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very hypermobile, and you know I, I have to do a lot of strength training in order to be able to fully sense where my joints are in space, to actually feel stretch. And so I love using things like a blanket as a reformer carriage. You know, so say on the reformer, you would slide the carriage in and out. Say doing the mermaid or the front splits or you know, all these different exercises. And so I'll replicate that to a certain extent using a blanket and we'll slide. Right. Or I'll use stretchy bands to replicate the kind of feedback you would get if you were on, say, the gyrotonic tower with your hands in the straps or your feet in the straps or you know if you're on the Cadillac with your hands or feet in the straps. So people get those partially closed kinetic chain feedback. And then, you know, yoga is mostly kind of open chain, especially all the sand standing sequences. Right. The warrior poses and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um arm balances where it's just your hands on the ground or warrior pose, like warrior three where it's just one foot on the ground or dancer pose. So I deconstruct the parts of a pose, you know, joint by joint and into more sort of digestible movements that might be static or dynamic that are really hard, actually, <laughs> that are very, I call them yeah. basic hard, and that, that sort of take you on a journey towards either a single pose or maybe a sequence of poses that are in a similar family.
0: So like building up to the peak.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just rather than teaching a whole bunch of yoga, like classical asanas to build up to a a peak classical asana, not using very many yoga asanas and then just having yoga asana at the end. I mean, you know, of course, now it's like, what is asana? What isn't asana? You know, yeah, because, that's, like, even that's a like, whole conversation out. right there. You know, yeah. I mean, and and even classical asanas are really like, if we look at the history came from wrestling and from Swedish <laughs> gymnastics. So yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and, and same thing with Pilates. I mean, Joseph studied animal movements and wrestling and boxing and was a cir- circus performing artist and um, took much of his work from Swedish gymnastics as well. So those men lived all around the same time. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and yeah. It, well, and it's so interesting because when I have a sub, because like you, I start with some somatic movements. I start with people laying on the ground mm-hmm. so that they're not having to hold themselves up while we tap into the breath. And it right. makes a world of difference to just have somebody lay down and do that than to have them sit. Yes. and And then to do a few just you A few little somatic movements and then we move into doing things with we're warming up the big muscle groups and the joints and the connective tissue Mm -hmm. while we're laying on the floor supported so that it gives them a space to really feel Mm -hmm. that and isolate that movement so that then when we move on to any of the kneeling spaces and then move into the standing spaces that they have this whole it's a progression and I didn't realize I mean it's something that just kind of was this organic thing that happened but I had one of my students say, I said, you know, well, how did you do with the sub? Because I was gone. And she said, she's good, you know, and the class is really good, but she doesn't warm us up right. like you do. And <laughs> and she doesn't, you know, do those progressive motions till we get to this you know, to, we get to the other. And she said, I was sore the next day as mm-hmm. a result of that. So that was very telling yeah. because a lot of this stuff I was just kind of pulling out of things <laughs> that I was putting together from my own body. It, Cause I don't teach anything that I haven't necessarily tried on my own yeah, body. Yeah, me
1: neither. And
0: so, you know, just to kind of work with some of my own limitations and own issues in terms of I sit too long for my job, you know, things like that. And then, okay, so then what do I need to do with my practice in order to make, to unwind all of those spaces? And it really doesn't have anything to do with what someone would call traditional
1: yoga. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. exactly.
0: I don't know if you've noticed, but I being in the yoga community, as long as I've been in the, I've never met and, and it's not everybody, but I, as a whole, in certain segments, like more judgmental people. <laughs> when it comes to discussions or conversations about yoga and about what real yoga is and what a real yogi is. And it's like, oh, hold on
1: here. <laughs> well, sadly enough, it exists in Pilates as well. Um, oh
0: boy. Okay. Because
1: there's what's called classical Pilates and contemporary yes. Pilates. And so classical would be along the lines of say, you know, Ashtanga where, you know, it has to be the primary series. You can't deviate from that series. So classical Pilates would be, you know, well, it has to be the exercises in the same order that Joseph taught them, you know, 50 years ago, we can't yeah. change it. Um, and then versus contemporary, where it's like, well, we know some more things now, and our bodies aren't quite the same as they were then. Yeah. So yeah, it, I mean, yoga is just so much uh, bigger in terms of uh, how many people practice it and how many,
0: yeah.
1: there are lots and lots of different styles of Pilates and flavors. Yeah, I, I think because in Pilates, there's maybe only one guru, and <laughs> that would be jo- that would be Joseph. Or, or some people, you know, if they've studied with what they call an elder, so somebody who studied with Joseph, they treat that person like a guru. But in contemporary Pilates, it's it's really not that way, and so you can just kind of stay over in that area and not have to deal with, (laughs) as long as you don't go in the wrong Facebook group. But yeah, in yoga, it's a lot more, you know, there's a spiritual aspect, which brings in the guru aspect a lot more. And it's just such a broader discipline that involves so much more than just movement that it's, yeah.
0: And, you know, and in doing some research and, and just educating myself about gurus and yoga Teachers and all of that, and thinking about you know, like things that Bikram has done, and all of these things that are coming out now about you know, this whole me, this whole Me Too movement, and things that as women, I guess we always just thought we just had to deal with them because saying something really didn't make anything change, or Mm -hmm. it always gets turned around. It's, well, what did you do to make? Cause this to happen, right? Yeah. Instead of going, well, you know, whatever this, whoever this person was, what they did was wrong, right. sort of thing. So I look at all of that, and I just think, you know, I think it's, for me, it's more about how do I broaden my perspective. I mean, I did Bikram and some hot yoga, and realized that I don't think that hot yoga is good for the body.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and there's a lot of people who disagree with that, but I think that you truly need to build the heat from the inside out right and that's because i've worked with enough people who have injured themselves doing hot yoga because they overstretched
1: right yeah it's very and
0: yeah. and so you know so it's just it's so and <laughs> yeah. you know what i tell everybody it's like there's a there's a style of yoga and a yoga instructor out there for, for everybody yeah you just need to figure out who and where that is
1: Yeah, and it will change. You know, I practiced Bikram in my 20s. And I loved it because I was sitting at a desk all day. And you know, I wanted to move and sweat and not think I was in my 20s. So I wasn't going to get injured because I was still young enough that I could do whatever and nothing (laughs) happened. So yeah, I think there's a time and a place like you said, for every kind of yoga, you just have to be I would say discerning with there that, you go with That's, how appropriate it is for you um, based on who you are and, and at what stage of your life you're in.
0: And it's so interesting too. I have a friend who was doing his dissertation on fall prevention.
1: Oh wow! And
0: yeah. we were having a conversation, and he's tall. He's yeah. like six seven, six eight, very tall guy. Mm-hmm. He does yoga, and and we were talking, and I said, so because I get a lot of people who that's one of their concerns and why they're in yoga is Mm -hmm. because they're concerned with falling. So they want to work on their balance. Yeah. And I said, so what's the biggest segment of the population with the highest percentage of falls? And he Mm -hmm. says, I'm going to tell you. And he says, and then you're going to be surprised. And I'm like, okay. Right. And he goes, the biggest segment Mm -hmm. with the most falls is between 50 and 65.
1: Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And I said, really? And he said, yes. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you're still young enough to be really busy. You're usually probably working. Some of you are still raising children. Some of them are helping with grandchildren. You're doing a lot of things at the same time. And mm-hmm. he says, and you're not realizing that your body doesn't quite operate the same way that it used to. And mm-hmm. he says, and then you're doing too many things. And he said, and that leads to falls. Mm-hmm. And I said, he goes. He said, so what group did you think? And I said, I was thinking. And he between 75 and say 85 right he he says you know they have falls too but he said the biggest segment is and he says that's what my research has proved out and I was just like I'm that's (laughs) shocking but but true and he said he goes but so for someone like you who's been moving their entire lives and doing as much yoga as you do he says it's going to be different for you Mm -hmm. but he said just be honest with me he says have you noticed your balance changing a little bit as you've gotten older I said Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And I also noticed that because I'm doing too many things, trying to do too many things at the same time, that's the time when I trip or I run into something yes. or I fall, you know, fall or whatever it is. It's because I I'm trying to do too much at once,
1: right? So yeah, and I think especially you know with the shoes that people wear, you know, we have yeah. such an awareness around how important it is to be barefoot, how important it is to wear yes. flat shoes or flexible shoes. You know, we're getting up and off. and down off the ground all the time, because we teach. Um, I actually I sleep on the floor. So I'm getting up and down. (laughs) I try try to eat some of my meals on the floor. But other people, you know, they would they think I'm just a weirdo, whereas I'm like, No, I'm going to be doing this until I get old, because I don't want to lose the ability to get up and down off the floor. Floor, But other people wouldn't even think of that, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, they're doing this challenge thing where you're supposed to cross your ankles and try and stand up. I can't do it anymore. Okay. My my hips are too, and I've got bad knees, you know, things, body parts are just not as right. young. As they, they don't operate quite but, the same way. But yeah. I can still get up and down off exactly. of the floor. I just have to move myself around to get there. But
1: There's um, more than one. I think, you know, you should be able to get up and down off the floor in at least five or six different ways. The variety yeah. of that is important. Yeah.
0: What led you to write the book?
1: Uh, so uh, there's this Facebook group that I've been in. I don't know if you know it, it's called the Yoga and Movement Research group. No, no. um, Yeah, it's uh, Diane Bruni is the person who runs it. And I think she started it back in 2017. And I just fell in love with it because it was people having conversations like we're having right now. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the kind of conversation where it was like, oh, I don't know anyone in my town who teaches the way I teach. Am I the only one that thinks this way or teaches this way? And so I discovered this group and met people all over the world who are having these kind of conversations. And so I started sharing a lot in that group, sharing videos of things that I was teaching in my classes, sharing articles. And the woman who is um, the editor for Handspring Publishing reached out to me and she said, "Um, I've been following you in this Facebook group and it seems like you have a lot to say. (laughs) Would you like to write a book? And I thought, oh my God, you know, like that sounds like a lot of work. You know, this is me talking to myself. No, that sounds right. awful and like a whole lot of work. But, but I thought about it and was like, yeah, I do have a lot to say and I should do this and it's going to be really hard. But, you know, at that point. Like I had a good solid idea of what I was teaching and why I was teaching it. And so it was just figuring out how to translate that. The things that I was teaching to teachers in a classroom or in a workshop or a continuing education immersion into a book format. So the book will have like... The last, you know, there's a chapter on somatics. There's a chapter on corrective exercise. There's a lot of information in there about pain science and load and, you know, why external. Oh, I'm looking forward this book then, because this is
0: all stuff that I go out, you know, and be the nerd that I am on the internet searching for information.
1: Yeah. And, and the final, the final chapter is going to have not set sequences, but basically like sort of like a choose your own adventure option oh, for different okay, sequences. Yeah. So like, here's a whole bunch of somatic exercises that you could choose if you were teaching a class that was more geared towards say, hip poses in the coronal plane. And so you can, you know, and then I'll have like a bunch of corrective exercises that you could also choose if you are leading up towards that. And then a, a lot of, you know, say sensory feedback type of things, as well as conditioning, strength and conditioning, mobility drills. So sort of categorizing these things into different groupings, as well as like separating them out, like these are, you know, supine and these are prone and these are kneeling and these are seated. And this is, you know, kind of takes you up to the standing. So filming a bunch of different sequences, but then also having it where it's almost like a template or a, I guess you could call it like a grid where you can sort right. of pick and choose to create yeah. these sequences. That
0: that's That's a great way to do it because then you can kind of like you said, it gives you sort of this a la carte menu that you can go and just pull whatever it is you want to put together for that class. Um. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also a lot of yoga teachers, you know, when I travel around to teach, they've never experienced, I mean, you are a dancer. So I find the only ones who have ever experienced like the Bartania fundamentals or Rudolf Laban's work or, Feldenkrais movements, Hannah Somatics are teachers who study dance as an undergrad and experience that type of movement. So they're really grateful because they don't know any other sort of mindful movement modalities besides yoga. And if they know Pilates, you know, they've just taken a mat class at the gym, which was like tons of, you know, <laughs> tons of flexion and, you know, abdominal stuff. And they don't realize just
0: it's mostly abdominal stuff.
1: So yeah. yeah, they don't realize that Pilates also has a whole repertoire of other types of movements that would also it really well into a yoga class.
0: What I like mm-hmm. about the Pilates piece and talking about the core, and a lot of instructors talk about the core and all they're talking about is everybody is the belly, right? right. And when you think about it, it's it's the quadratus lumborum. It's all of those things that wrap around to bring you into your center. And yeah. it, it's this—it's so easy for people to forget that it's so interconnected. Front and back do not offer um, operate without being connected to each other. Yeah, and when some teachers teach, that's how they teach. It's like here's the front, and they don't bring into what's going on in the back. And so it's uh, it's it's just been. Over the 17 years I've been teaching and taking from other people, it's been a very interesting experience. And I started out in the very beginning of, you know, your foot needs to be here and your knee needs to be here. And this is where your hip needs to be. And after, I probably have close to, I don't know, 15,000 practical hours of teaching. Yeah. And after seeing all of those bodies, (laughs) it's like, you know... there's not one body that's the same, that moves the same. And so you, you can't teach that way.
1: No, I mean, I always joke on Tuesday mornings, I have a client who comes and she is really good at internal rotation. And then I have a client who comes in the aft, and and she's not very, like it's so hard for her to externally rotate. And then in the afternoon, I have a client who is really good at external rotation and has little to no internal rotation. And, you know, always joke, we'll just put you guys together and you'll have it (laughs) all. You know, but I'm sure one of them is probably more introverted and one's more retroverted. You know, like the placement of their acetabulum is, is I'm sure, very different. The neck of their femurs is different. Like, it's it's definitely not just, I mean, they've both been working with me for, uh, like, you know, seven years or so. So it's, it's not just a strength or flexibility thing. It's, 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 it's inherent in their body structure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you wouldn't know that if you're just always teaching a group class, you'd be, you'd be like, why can't you do this? Like what's wrong with you? You know,
0: Well, <laughs> and, and for me, it was like, I had some weird injuries that cropped up and it's like, well, you know, doing it that way hurts. Yeah. So how do I approach this from a space that makes it so it doesn't hurt? And my whole thing about teaching. Teaching a group classes, I want people to walk out the door feeling better than when they walked in the door, and I want them to feel successful. So if that means you have to bend your back knee when you're working in Warrior One, in fact, I don't even teach Warrior One anymore (laughs) because it's not, it doesn't, it's just not right for the body. And when you think about how yoga was created for people in India of a certain body type, with a certain weather condition, with a certain diet. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with the people walking around in the world today in this country where we, you and I teach, right? Right, right. And how they live their lives and what their bodies are, what they eat, how they work, you know, all of all of those things. So, you know, for those who want to stay in that yoga bubble as it needs to be, you know, back in the traditional school of yoga, it's like, okay, you knock yourself out <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It, you know, and and most of the modern postural yoga was done by you know like thirteen year old Indian boys, boys who yes. yes. were students of Krishnamacharya or BKS Iyengar, Patabi Joyce, and they were traveling around doing performances in order to you know build interest in yoga in the West. And so it, it was a performance, like it was choreographed, yeah. and they were all synchronized. You know, it was more important that the shapes looked aesthetically pleasing to get people interested in doing yoga you know that
0: was and that's the one thing that's so funny is because I joke and say now this we don't do warrior one and here's why because it was a pose that was developed for 13 year old boy hips and I don't know anyone in this room that has 13 year old Indian boy hips so We're gonna we're gonna hack the pose and do it this way instead. It's just it's interesting to you know the progression and it's like people want to hold on to that old stuff and it's like but wait a minute, we've learned so much more about fascia even in the last twelve years. Nobody really knew before that much about fascia and how important it was and you know the proprioception and all of those pieces that go into that puzzle and then you just think about what happens as a body ages like you i mean i want to be teaching yoga in my 90s so what do i need to do now in order to get there and like you you know in my 20s i did whatever i wanted to do and thought you know i but now i'm looking at people like trainers in the club where i work and people that are young and i'm thinking I had to literally bite my tongue not to have to go out to them and say, you know, if you did this and this and this, it would be better for your body when you hit 50. <laughs> right. Because they would look at me and say,
1: I'm not 50. Right. No, most but- of us have to learn the hard way, including myself. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, but I, I do. I think you know you need sixty degrees of extension at your metatarsal phalangeal joint for gait for walking. Right, and most people can't toe hinge; they don't have any movement. So I'd much rather them do crescent lunge and work on you know getting the the motion there because it's going to help them with walking versus yes. having you know in in warrior two or sorry warrior one with the foot turned out and then they leave walking like this. You know, well, and not
0: only that, it's it's some people just don't have the ankle flexion either, right? I mean, it's right. just not; they just don't. It's not, and not. I mean, they can do so much with with practicing it and, and loosening some of that space, but some of it is like what you said; it's inherent into their their physical structure. Right, you're you're never going to be able to change that, and. Uh, the one thing I can't remember where I was reading this or who it was that was talking. I was probably a physical therapist, I believe, but talking about the fact that you have over 10,000 sensors in the soles of your feet. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, we are rooted and grounded through our feet. Right. And so that those 10 over 10,000 sensors are sending your, your brain information about, Balance. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we get injured or we get older, those people wear stiff shoes, they wear socks all the time, they wear their shoes in the house. And when you do that, it deadens all of those sensors. So you're no longer sending those good signals to your brain that helps you to work on your balance. People who talk about wear shoes when you have to go outside to get to where you're going, the minute you get somewhere, take your shoes off. Right. And be barefoot. Yeah. I love to be I mean to me, the first sign of being able to wear flip flops <laughs> is my favorite thing, right, right. not and I love shoes. I was a footwear buyer for years. I love shoes, but right. I would much rather spend time barefoot than anything and I take my shoes off the minute I hit the door in the house and I'm barefoot the entire time I'm here. yeah, so it's just been those things of and I've noticed like you know I danced on point for. Wow. Eight years, right? And yeah. I'm lucky that I don't have ugly feet as a result of that. Yeah. But I do notice, mm-hmm. especially in my right foot, that you know, that big toe joint. Oh yeah. As I'm getting a little older, that it's getting a little cranky.
1: Yeah.
0: And so I'm always thinking about what do I need to do to not only expand the flexibility of my toes and feet but not not to lose anything at the same time
1: yeah absolutely
0: it's just it's so i watch these people in class who struggle even with doing a squat right and people who say oh no you should do it with your your toes facing Forward. Well, most people can't keep their heels on the floor because they don't have the foot and ankle flexion to right, do that. Right. So when you tell them that, and then they can't get there, it's like, well, then they fail. Okay. Right. What do we need to do to make it no. so you can get
1: there? Exactly. Yeah. There's always a progression, and there's always a regression. Yeah.
0: Oh, see, I could sit and talk with you about this.
1: <laughs> I know we <me> do. <laughs>
0: yeah. You offer online class options, correct?
1: Yes. If you go to my website, there's two big tabs. One says uh, online classes and courses and the other one says live events. So, you know, you can just click on either one and I have lots of online um, classes and courses. And then all my live events are just listed by location and, and the descriptions are so, all
0: there. So will you tell everyone what your website is?
1: Oh yeah. It's just my name. It's TrinaAltman.com. Okay,
0: I'll put everything in the show notes so that you've got all the links to be able to find her on her website and on Instagram because she's got great material on Instagram as well. If you have any questions for Trina, she's available to answer them. shes I found her to be incredible in terms of answering my DMs and just being able to reach out and stay in touch. So she's got a wealth of knowledge. I dug in a little bit into her website. I didn't get to go as far as I wanted to, but I'm going to be back there digging even more and so looking forward to your book when it's ready to come out yeah Um, and
1: i think are you near uh what's called mill creek no no No. i
0: actually so mill creek is over on the east side and i i live on an island in the puget sound that's right
1: Okay. All right. Because I'm teaching there in March. So I thought maybe I'll see you.
0: Maybe I'll have to come over. Where are you teaching over there?
1: Um, Oh, gosh. I think it's called Yoga in the Center. Well, um, we'll stay in
0: touch. Yeah, definitely. uh, if for no other reason, just to come and meet you yeah, in person. I would
1: love that. <laughs> love that. <laughs> thank you so much, Sherry. Well, thank you
0: for making the time to be here. And I know you're busy with your travel because I've been seeing in your stories that you've been out on the road traveling again. I really appreciate you making the time to be here and, and to share. Like I met Laura Hyman and she's a PT who yeah. d- teaches yoga. And I've learned so much from her in terms of, it was just sort of very affirming that I what i was doing intrinsically or from my intuition directing me was yeah. like this this mix and she gave me same with you words to be able to actually have words to be able to tell people exactly what it is by going you know that feeling that
1: <laughs> yeah no it is it's just it is a lot of um i find teachers say to me, the same like they. I gave them the language to language, describe yeah. what they were all already doing, or the right. way of organizing it around that language. You know, yeah. If you're a dancer, so you're ahead of me. Like you had the chore- choreography skills. I kind of learned the anatomy and then figured the choreography from that, <laughs> as opposed to the opposite way, which is I think what most people do.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I started so young. I was four when I wow. started dance, and so I didn't really realize how much was encoded in that learning process yeah. that I didn't even think about until I went to start coaching high school girls softball. Okay. And to try and get them to understand what to do with their hips when they're swinging the bat or that most of those girls don't always have that connection with their mm-hmm. body. And so what I was assuming because it's the connection right. that I had that I had to really strip all of that back and go, okay, so now how do you present this yeah. to someone who doesn't even have a concept? of the fact that it's all interconnected in the first right. place. Yeah. So that having that language is so incredible to make it that it's available to people on a level that they can understand it if they're not anatomy geeks like yes. you and I are.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. That is the challenge. It is. It's, um... <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: thank you again. Thank and as you. I said, I'll have all of her contact information in the show notes and you guys can check her out and uh, have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you. You too, Sherry.